Hey everybody, my name is Pej. We come on every single Tuesday, right around noontime. I always have special guests in the recovery world. We talk about anything and everything that's recovery related or lack thereof. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. Four and three and two and one. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. Today, I have Earl Hightower here. Welcome to the corner, Earl. <laughs> we had a few technical difficulties. I'm taking ownership for them. They were my fault. Earl, Earl is was been patient. I've only fun. wanted to kill him twice in the last. <laughs> I want to say uh, we were supposed the to come guy, on. The other bald guy is a lovely human being. By the way, that's right. How did you know he was bald? Did you even see him? I saw a picture of him. Okay. Okay. While you guys were floundering about trying to decide if this was a good idea at all. <laughs> well, I'm happy that you're here today, Earl. First and foremost, I want to tell you how much I love and adore you. You are uh, a dear Flattery friend. Flattery will get you nowhere. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> right. What are you doing? Yes. Be with me. Be with me, Earl. Be with me. So so today's... You need to be held, Pej. <laughs> Who hurt you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I knew I could get you to Have smile. Have I treated you in some way? I treat it. <laughs> no, no, I'm totally fine. No, so uh, it's so so good to have you on here. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while now. Uh, you're very nice. special to me. Thank you, you have for been. having me. It's an honor for me. Yes, I. Uh, you know, obviously in the in the recovery community, I I know that millions of people have heard your story several times. A lot of people have heard your CDs. Uh, they've seen you speak live, but today's not your typical Earl Hightower story. It's actually, we're going to be talking about a few different things. Uh, welcome to the corner. This is Peggy's recovery corner. It's good to see you here. Uh, go for it, Earl. Unload. Well, Earl I'm Hightower sorry. talks. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm on the phone. I'm looking for a particular um, quote um, that I thought would be a nice kick it off, you okay. know, to, uh, to, to, to do something a little bit different, you know what I mean? Tweak the old brain pan. Try to get that lizard brain a quivering, you know? Um, get us to think um, outside the box. Just think... Uh, um, I believe that, that uh, life is spherical. I, I don't believe that it's a linear experience. I don't believe that... that um, you're young, you grow up, you learn things, um, you're genetically predisposed to stuff, so you gotta do that. Um, and then you get old and you die. I, I just don't think that's right. Are we allowed to curse on this? You can curse on this. Or be yes. naked or, you know. You could do whatever you careful can what you say to me. Careful you can shriek you you if you want to, but, the, you know, I think the camera's a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> don't have a wide angle lens, huh? All right, so. Um, so then I can just speak freely. Speak freely. This All is right. I want to read this story and we can talk about that and other things. Sure. If sure. you indulge me. Yes. Right? It's called God of Spinoza. Mm -hmm. When Einstein gave lectures at U.S. universities, the question students asked him most was, the question students asked him most was, do you believe in God? And he always answered, I believe in the God of Spinoza. Baruch de Spinoza was a Dutch philosopher considered one of the great rationalists of the 17th century, of 17th century philosophy. Along with Descartes, according to Spinoza, God would say, 
Stop praying. I want you to go out into the world and enjoy your life. I want you to sing, have fun, and enjoy everything I've made for you. Stop going into those dark, cold temples that you built yourself and saying they are my house. My house is in the mountains, in the woods, the rivers, lakes, beaches, deserts. That's where I live, and there I express my love for you. Stop blaming me for your miserable life. I never told you there was anything wrong with you or that you were a sinner or that your sexuality was a bad thing. Sex is a gift I have given you and with which you can express your love, your ecstasy, your joy. So don't blame me for everything that others made you believe. Stop reading alleged sacred scriptures that have nothing to do with me. If you can't read me in a sunrise, in a landscape, in the look of your friends, in your son's eyes, you will find me in no book. Stop asking me, will you tell me how to do my job? Stop being so scared of me. I do not judge you or criticize you, nor get angry or bothered. I am pure love. Stop asking for forgiveness. Not, there's nothing to forgive. If I made you, I filled you with passions, limitations, pleasures, feelings, needs, inconsistencies, and best of all, free will. Why would I blame you if, if you respond to something I put in you? How could I punish you for being the way you are if I'm the one who made you? Do you think I could create a place to burn all my children who behave badly for the rest of eternity? What kind of God would do that? Respect your peers and don't give what you don't want for yourself. All I ask is that you pay attention in your life. Alertness is your guide. My beloved, this life is not a test, not a step on the way, not a rehearsal, not a prelude to parenthood. This life is the only thing here and now, and it is all you need. I have set you absolutely free, no prizes or punishments, no sins or virtues, no one carries a marker. No one keeps a record. You're absolutely free to create in your life. It's you who create heaven or hell. Live as there is nothing beyond this life. And if this is your only chance to enjoy, to love, to exist, then you'll save you. And if there is an afterlife, rest assured that I won't ask you if you behaved right or wrong. I'll ask, did you like it? Did you have fun? What did you enjoy the most? What did you learn? Stop believing in me. Believing in is, is assuming, guessing, imagining. I don't want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in you. I want you to feel free in you when you kiss your beloved, when you tuck in your little girl, when you caress your dog, when you bathe in the sea. Stop praising me. What kind of egomaniac God do you think I am? I'm bored with being praised. I'm tired of being thanked. Feeling grateful, prove, prove it by taking care of yourself, your health, your relationships, the world. Express your joy. That's the way to praise me. Stop complicating things and repeating as a parrot what you've been taught about me. Why do you need more miracles? So many explanations. The only thing for sure is that you are here, that you are alive, that this world is full of wonders. Awesome. Awesome. Let the bitching and complaining on the internet begin. 
So who's <laughs> bitching and complaining? Oh, just wait, Earl. Wait for the just wait, <laughs> just wait. People, they're like sharks circling, right? I posted the other day. I posted uh, uh, that there was a benefit to raise money for an Alano Club. By the way, I will not discuss a certain twelve-step um, organization or membership or non-membership at all. I will not do that. Um, right. But there was a fundraiser for an Alano Club, which is a club that supports family members of those that have been afflicted by a particular illness. And mm -hmm. uh, um, I posted it on Facebook, and. A couple of people started to really lay into me until a couple of other people stepped up and told them, you know, you should go fuck yourself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I didn't have to do anything. I just waited and the community came and took care of me, which I appreciate. Thank you, community. Appreciate it very much. The real ones. Yeah, the ones that are actually listening, that aren't the ones that are looking for something to take exception with. Right. I believe is the correct way to say that. So I thought that that was an interesting, I'm not saying that that's how I feel. I'm not saying that that's what I believe. I'm saying that I think that that adds to um, a spherical dialogue about faith, about um, belief. Um, that it's not this linear, you know, deal where you just, you know, I think it's important. If your faith is shaky if you haven't wrestled with that faith. Hmm. That's me. <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm not pinning that on anybody. It's... Your faith is shaky if you haven't wrestled with your faith. You, you, it, it's important for us to challenge what we espouse, you know, hmm. to, um, to be open to new ideas, you know, old ideas, right? It's funny that we live in a culture that it's the only culture I can think of offhand. I could be wrong, often am, um, that uh, doesn't take full advantage of its elders, the ones that have been here the longest. You know, and, and, and I'm not talking about any clubs or groups. I'm talking about from a societal perspective. Yeah, it's not even certain generations. It's certain types of the culture. Yeah. There's a great quote I read the other day that said, weak men make for hard times. And I thought, fuck, that's so true, man. <laughs> weak men make for hard times. It's like, snap out of it, stand up and count for something. Hmm. You know? Participate. Belong. Truly be a part of. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I'm with you. That's not enough. Not now. Not with the way things are now. We got to do more. It's very easy for a guy like me to say, I'm tapping out. I've done enough. Right? 
And not many would uh, argue the point. A few would, and I respect those people. Who say, fuck off, Earl, you haven't done enough. You haven't participated enough. You haven't put enough on the line. You haven't laid it out bare, man. You haven't. You've been just a little too afraid of being wrong or called out. Could be true. Could be true. <laughs> right? I don't want it to be true. I don't want that to be true, ever. When I die, I want him to say, first, he was old as fuck. <laughs> this is the first thing I want him to say. The second thing I want him to say was, he used it all up. He used it all up. He, he, he was after it, all the way. All the way. He never gave um, the naysayers, the Karens, a chance to get a foothold. <laughs> he kept them on their heels. Sorry, go ahead. You talk. So this is what I what I wanted to talk about. You're you're forty years so you're you're forty years sober now, right? I am indeed. But and- I am. I haven't had a drink in 40 years, if that's what you mean. Yes. So that's my way of saying careful, son. Right, 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 right. So so obviously in the last 40 years, you've from what I know about you, because I know about you, uh, you know something about me. Yes, you do. Yes. You've done a lot of work. And and I don't just mean internal work, but obviously and, and internal work definitely goes deep. I know that because of your own the things that happened in your past. Um, you, you've often said that there's so many, so many things that you endured and, and for you to be even alive is a miracle within itself. If people know the story, they know the story, but what, we're not getting into it. after 40 years, four decades, yeah. why do you help so many people? What made you even, there's a lot of people they come and they get sober and they go back and work in the respective field. But you've decided to be in the helping field, and that means for addicts and alcoholics. Earl, one of the reasons I always uh, was was attracted to who you were when I first ever uh, researched you was obviously we I'd heard the story, but then I looked you up and I thought, wait a minute, this guy just doesn't specifically help just the alcoholic. He helps the addict. He helps the one with mental health. He goes above and beyond. Well, who is this guy? And I didn't know who you were. I had lived in Orange County at the time. I, I knew that you lived in L.A. And I don't. I, it happened by accident or perhaps in God's world, but there are no mistakes. And I remember somebody said that you were going to be somewhere, that you were going to be giving a talk, and then we met out front, and this was in like 2014. And when I actually got to know you, I was like, this guy's a pretty humble dude. He's like down to earth. Like you can talk to him. He's not... He's, you know, everybody knows him, but he's not really uh, stuck up about it or anything like that. He's not a snob. He, he's, he's a good guy. Over well, I was the- very, very dis- disappointed that there was no hair and makeup on this show. <laughs> well, you've got the wife. She's got the, the makeup. But re- regardless <laughs> of the fact. So over I the years, I couldn't help it. Go on. Go on. So, so over the years of getting to know you, uh, I've also heard some of the naysayers naysay and 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 you know about it and we hear about it yes 
the walls have ears. There's going to always be those people that they won't show. They won't show face. No, they're, they're cowards. They'll spread poison. Yes. They'll 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 they call you. They'll call you names like he's a paid sponsor or he, you know. Which, you know, is a lie. I'll which say is a lie. That's right. a lie. Never right. received any sponsor name. That's right. So, and, and I mean, truth of the matter is people if will just. I'm in the business of paid sponsorship, I am the worst businessman in the world. <laughs> a lot of people just like to categorize. A lot of people like to put poison in the air and see who else will, will grab that poison. And, but, a lot uh, of people like to bring people down, man. People don't get it. There's good and there's evil in this world. That's right. And there are people with bad intentions who want to talk. I know people who've said absolutely horrible things about me. And if you ask them my phone number, they couldn't tell you. Right. If you ask them, what was his sister's name? I can't tell you. Yeah. You know, I mean, they just, you know, I'm of of I, I I'm known, so you know, they don't want to take me down. They don't go after the plumber who's been sober for 40 years. Right. And they're there. They go after if you're popular, they don't like you. If you're if you're if you're uh, well liked, they they don't like you. If you if you have something thoughtful to say, they don't like you. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and 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 I don't want to give them a lot of time. My attitude is fuck them. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, they don't bother me anymore. I just yeah. think how sad a life. Have you ever you troll waterways of of the internet to find someone to fuck with? I mean, yeah. what a waste of the gift you've been given. Go mm. do something, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just find it shocking that right. people want to make a name for themselves at the expense of another person. How mm -hmm. is there value in that? How? What what benefit becomes this of this? I, I, I don't understand. Right. It's just sad. And I understand. Hearing people talk and wanting to get on the internet and go, this guy's so full of shit, I can't believe it. Listen to what this guy's doing. I understand that proclivity. I do. Because I hear people say stuff all the time. Um, and people go, wow, that guy's deep. And I think, no, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I think, no, just shut up. Let it, let it play its course, right? And, those and it people, always, they, it they always plays its course. It yeah, always they come and go, I don't got to get into it. People don't need to hear from me about it. Yeah, the dirt always comes out in the wash. Yep, it does. And people get hammered, man. And they quietly go away. Right. You know, I'm still here. I'm still here. After all these years. They haven't run me off yet, you know. And, and I, if I have anything to say about it, they're not going to run me off. Right. You know, this is too, there, there are things that matter. I mean, human beings are fragile. They're impulsive. They're, um, 
you know, there's a lot of negative things you can say about people in general. There's also a lot of people who are remarkably kind and generous and giving of their time and their energy and their thought and their caring and, you know, um, incredibly bright and should be listened to. And we're too busy trying to be cool to hear the guy who's saying something profoundly significant, you know, saying something that it could better us all. You know, it's just, uh, I weep for us sometimes, the things that we trap ourselves in, you know, and that just don't matter, don't matter. Hmm. You know, and, and caring does. I mean, when you look about the plight we're in, Do you think an attitude of giving love could have a positive influence on our current state of affairs? Absolutely. Uh, I think so too. I think to give love. To those um, we have a tendency to rail against. Let's not exclude them mm-hmm. from that love. They need it. You can tell they need it. Go on. You got questions. You got stuff written down. Take us in another direction. I'm fine. You can say on another note. And okay. Okay. I wanted to talk about this. So Earl, Go ahead. I mean, out, outside of, you know, certain arenas where people have heard your story, there are some that know about your profession and there's some that have no idea. You, when I say you've helped countless others, um, you're an interventionist. You've done a lot of intervention. You've done interventions for years and years. When did you first start doing interventions? How early in your recovery? Well, Luke, really, I'm, you know, I, uh, I'm, I had a business background in college. My, you know, my studies were in, you know, uh, marketing, production, distribution. You know, uh, it was a uh, business school, economics, things like that. That's what I studied. Right. right. Uh, and when I, Later in life, um, as I was working in business, I, you know, getting involved in marketing in particular, I saw that a lot of these things that I was learning, you know, were of great value. That, you know, hey, guess what? These old timers, you know, who had really studied this stuff had some very, very knowledgeable, interesting things to say about this that were directly applicable to what I was doing. So I started to learn this stuff. And... I was working for a relatively large company at this point and was doing well. And they had, um, in back in those days, they had uh, programs where people, employees could take advantage of trainings. If you wanted to be trained in certain elements of your particular area, um, they would pay for you to, to get further training. And there were these interventionists with the original guys out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, from the uh, um, uh, um, the original Institute of Intervention, right? And they were sending out a couple of trainers, and they had said to me, do you want to study under these guys? And I said, okay. You know, when a door opens, walk through it, right? So I said, sure. And I went and 
studied for two weeks under these guys, and they just blew the top of my head off on different ways to approach a human being, how to de-escalate situations. I mean, they had this wealth of knowledge that was applicable in so many different ways. So I studied under these guys. And a couple of weeks later, um, this hospital that I was marketing for um, said, uh, we, got, we got a kid who's strung out on cocaine. Go get him. I was like, okay. We, I, you know, I, me? And they went, yeah, you. Go get him. I'm like, all right. So I went, I sat down, and I talked with the family. And as I'm sitting talking to this family, I had this kind of out-of-body experience where I was just watching the power dynamic in this family sort of ebb and flow as we talked about what was going on in their family and with their loved one, right? And I felt like I could see the problem presenting itself to me, declaring. Through the family. Yes, through the family, it was declaring itself to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, this is intense. I'm gonna give this a shot, right? So I said to the family, excuse me, I'm gonna go talk to this kid, right? So I, I go in the other room and I sit down with him and I go, look. And I just laid it out for this kid. And he goes, can't argue with that. Let's go. And I went, okay. And grabbed this kid by the arm and we were walking out. I looked at the family and said, we'll be at this particular hospital. Here's the phone number. Uh, call them up and tell them we're coming. And I'd advise you to get over there ASAP. Because shit's popping here. Let's go, man. We're, we're yeah. going. And so I took this kid over, and as I drove home, I said, I feel like I know what I want to do now. Because I felt like um, I had a, a level of understanding, a level of awareness with this particular circumstance mm -hmm. that was a value that I didn't know I had. Can't take credit for it. It's, it's, it's not something. I, there was no decision made by me. <laughs> right? I was not in the decision-making loop on this. And I jumped in. And I've been in interventions for 35 years. And I've done thousands of interventions. Mm -hmm. And it's all about human dynamic. It's all about family dynamics. Um, and an understanding there, both before you intervene on someone, during the time you intervene on them, and afterwards. Because it's not an event, it's a process. Because you're basically walking up to somebody and saying, listen, we're going to ask you to stop using your medicine right now. The thing that you think protects you from the demons that are just right behind you. And uh, we're not going to leave you alone. We're going to be there with you. And we're going to take care of you. And I broke the cardinal rule there and self-disclosed. I said, God, I'm one of you. And um, I won't lay you down. He said, okay. And he came with me. And I've been doing this way too much of this for 35 years. Um, most anybody that knows me would tell you, Earl's work-life balance is a bit askew. And they would be correct. Right? Um, there's nothing like it, man. There's nothing like help jumping through the looking glass and grabbing a guy who's on the brink, bringing him back, and helping the family understand that they're a part of it. They're a part of this dynamic. Mm -hmm. That this doesn't live in a vacuum. It's not just him. It's the whole family. That they've somehow managed to accommodate 
this horrible illness within this family. And we got to get get out. We got to can't sweep it under the rug. You can't send him off to treatment and then bring him home and he'll be a good little boy and you won't have a problem anymore. It doesn't work like that. So you got you got a lot of work to do. And I think that most interventions do not do. They right. grab the guy, they bang on the door, they throw him in treatment. Done. Right. And I think I think the art of of doing a proper intervention obviously is the pre-intervention where you can bring that up and and make hopefully convince the family members that they are part of the problem without offending. Meaning yes. you have to you have to choose yeah, your words yeah, wisely. Totally right. You don't want to put anybody down. You you want to tell them they did the best that they can, but yeah. but you also you got to make it's it apparent enough. to them. It's they not got more enough. to do. They got more to do. And yeah, then, right. and then you got Then, I mean, obviously, I do a lot of interventions in the Persian community, and they'll tell you they'll we'll listen to everything. You're telling me that there's a problem of this type in the Persian community. <laughs> the enabling, the codependency runs rampant in that community. But I, I know that you'll get them to agree to everything. We'll do everything, anything you say. And the second you get into the intervention, one of the family members suddenly thinks that he's the interventionist or she's the interventionist and they're going to sure. try to, that, you know, and everything that well, they said before. That, that, that's not exclusive to the Persian community. Let me it, tell it's you. to many communities. It, it's very, very true that that's many communities. part of the, right. I've witnessed it, but it's, yes. But the one thing that the Persian community has for this beautiful is, is that the Persian community um, is very much about family. Hmm. That in the Persian community, there's a core connectedness that exists within the family, within the community that, that, that is very powerful and very strong. And as much as that's a negative in trying to burrow through all of these defense mechanisms that have been put in place to protect one another, right? You got to get through that to get to this individual and get to support the community to do it. But also, once you've achieved that, you know, and they start to get on the other side of the, the equation on this, they're powerful, man. And it's a tremendous attribute uh, within the Persian community. The same is true with the Asian community. Um, um, their family is, is, is a very, very powerful thing. I'm a white boy, you know, and, and, and for us, man, I mean, our, our, our stuff is welcome to earth, motherfucker. It's everybody for himself. I mean, <laughs> we don't have a lot of, of uh, uh, <laughs> good, uh, what you'd call good family dynamics mm-hmm. flying as a rule, right? right. Um, and we used to, and it's kind of sad that we no longer do. We could learn a lot from cultures that have this. Mm. Um, what has been uh, one of the hardest interventions, an example, you don't have to say names or anything, but one of the hardest interventions that you probably ever had that, uh, that something like a miracle came out of it. Can you, does anything stand out to you? Um, God, there's just, there've been, there've been so many. And, and you have to understand that in, in full spectrum behavioral health intervention work, right? You've got addiction, you've got um, mental health issues and concerns, you've got family dynamics, you've got all kinds of stuff work, you know, working as a disadvantage towards what we call 
the identified patient or the individual in the family who demonstrates as the one who is an addict. VIP. Families, VIP, yes. And families have a tendency to point and go, you see? You see that guy right there? He's a maniac. We got to do something about him. Right, we need right. to be in treatment forever. And we need to do this. And we need to. And he's just like, all right, everybody take a deep breath. Right? And you just kind of calm it down. Bring it down a notch. And you start to go to work. And you start asking questions. And you find that this has been going, you know, that Uncle Lou was drunk his whole life. You know, or Aunt Betty, you know, uh, uh, um, went to sleep in a rocker with a bottle of gin in her hand and never woke up, you know what I mean, when she was 94, you know, and on and on and on. You know, it's just rampant addiction and alcoholism in, in these families, right? And the, and the identified patient you're going after um, on paper didn't really have a shot here. He was destined for this, right. you know? And I think the thing that you find is that Culturally, addiction has become a part of our language. You know, we talk about addiction now. We talk about behavioral health issues and concerns, where before it was total taboo. Taboo, major stigma attached to it. be discussed. You know, Uncle Louie went on vacation. Right. On vacation. Or Uncle Ed joined the Marines. He's actually doing four years in Avenal. Uh, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, got, was in a blackout drunk and tried to rob a bank you know, and got right. four years, right? So he went into the Navy, <laughs> what everybody's told. And mm-hmm. on and on and on and on. That's the kind of stuff. That, but now we talk about it freely. And the worst cases, honestly, are the ones where addiction is one of the lesser issues or concerns within the immediate family, that mental health issues are dramatic and, and um, running the show. Like the, the fraternal head of the family is um, dealing with um, malignant narcissism. And he's not going to give up control of this intervention to anybody. Right. You're asking for X amount of money. He'll pay you twice that. But he's going to run the show. Now, me, I like sleeping at night. So I just shove the check back across the table and go, good luck. I'm out. You want an expert? I'm an expert. But if we're not going to listen to me, I got got other things to do. (laughs) You know, if you're going to do it, do it. You know, because you know that when this goes sideways under your direction, and it will, you're going to look at me and go, you screwed this up. And right. <laughs> I, no, I didn't. You know, my mistake was I allowed you to take control of something that you know nothing about. So, no, I won't, I won't have anything to do with this. So you have to be very careful. And I think some of the worst stuff, one case went from, a guy threatened to shoot me, right? Which I had a very significant reaction to. Um, from that <laughs> to um, him, me seeing him six months later and telling me that his father was very proud of him because he'd gone through treatment as we had 
made arrangements for because uh, um, I did not take his uh, his threat of you know aiming a firearm in my direction. I did not take that that seriously. I mean, you can kind of tell when a guy's serious when he's not. And this kid was, you know, he was playing gangster. There was nothing OG about this kid, right? Right. And, and, and you know, we just throw him in the back of the car and told him to shut up. You know, and he just kind of went, okay. <laughs> took the treatment. And uh, he was just alight with recovery a few months mm-hmm. later. And he his family was... Uh, um, very religious, and um, he was leaving to go join the Israeli army and serve in the Israeli army, do a bit there, um, because right. he knew about, that that would make his father proud. And that's what he wanted, really, more than anything, was for his father to see that he had changed and that, you know, he was, you know, this, this you know, he was going to support his community by serving in the military, right? Hmm. And regardless of, you know, my thoughts on that, I mean, I gave him a big hug and he thanked me for, for, for helping him find a way to get to where he wanted to get. And, and I told him, you know, quite sincerely that the pleasure was mine. Hmm. You know, and, and it was. I mean, he was a beautiful kid. And he's become a rather remarkable young man. I love so it. That was a, that was, I mean... Rather than tell you, you know, the story about, you know, racing through a, you know, um, a, a Jamaican crack house, you know, to grab a dude who'd been shot and was, you know, just wrapped it up and kept smoking, right? right, and, right. Out, and all of the stuff that went with that, which is, in fact, I did do, right? But rather than that, I thought I'd tell you a story that had hope in it, hmm. you know? Because um, we need a lot of that these days. Sure, sure. So obviously, you yourself experienced this uh, pandemic uh, that just you, passed. You were, trained, you were trained pretty effectively in the, the uh, science and art of, of uh, intervention yourself, my young. Of friend. intervention, I, I, I was trained. I was trained by by you, and uh, <laughs> it, and happy birthday to you, young man. Thank you. You mean the 14 years sober or the 50 yes. years of age? Thank you. Take your pick. They both just rolled by. <laughs> well, as you would say, you're well into your 15th year of sobriety. So that's wonderful. Yes, you are. Yeah. And doing well. Doing well. I got to say, I, I believe this is what, you know, I want to say this. This is of great importance to me. And I, I often tell other people that that I work with and I try to help that I believe all human beings need to have some guides in life. Like Einstein also said, you can't fix the, the brain with the same or the problem with the same brain that created it. And um, I, I believe in my recovery path and process over the last 14 years, um, God, I'll say this very comfortably, and I was an atheist agnostic, but God placed people in my path to guide me and, and, and redirect me to God, to God, to making the right choices. And I know that. Um, you know, be, before you, there was a few other men who who were men of recovery, and they demonstrated what real recovery was about. And then when I met you, uh, you know, you've you've helped me immensely uh, in many different aspects in the recovery process, in in relationship tumultuous relationships processes. You and never you, told, and you know that everything that I passed down to you was passed down to me. Yes, I do, and that's, that's by, by other men. 
And I believe that's the respect that we have to show. Like you said in the top of this whole broadcast was uh, respecting the elders that actually have the wisdom that help us become who we and are. And women, men and women. And men and women. Yes. I stuck with the men, but many a female. Yes. As many. Leaned over and whispered in my ear and sent me in a different direction. Right. Told you what was good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Told me what was what. Right. Yeah. So, and I thanked them for it. Right. You supervised me for two years on doing interventions. I know that in this last year when we had this pandemic, I found it uh, uh, quite amazing that from what you had told me, because you didn't really leave your bunker for about a year. And I sure. think that you did count a bunch of interventions on I zoom I took, to be to, to if i may i I'm mean sure. i took my model of intervention and i stripped it down to the studs man and rebuilt it great um because i felt that that was necessary and you know i did uh, uh, i i stopped counting after a while but when right. i stopped counting i think i was 32 and one wow I, 32 People, I was successfully got into treatment. I'm still hunting that one little bastard. <laughs> you know what's what, what's interesting is you were doing them from Zoom, which I found amazing yes. that, you, that yes. you're actually able to pull it off and get people to to listen to you through a computer screen. Me, I think right when pandemic first hit, yeah. I was actually doing one, and I and I told you about this one. I went to the people's house and and I left my mask in the car. And when I showed up there, the mom and dad, they both answered the door with masks on and the brother had a mask on. And here I'm thinking I should probably I should probably go back and get my mask, but I'm already in the door. And I sat down and the IP, the the the, the one that I was there to see, came out of his he was sleeping. He came out of his bedroom and he sat down and and uh, we started talking and everybody started talking. And then the next thing you know, I, I got cut off by him and he looked at me and he said, excuse me, where's your mask? How can I listen to a man that comes here with no mask on? And I said, "You are absolutely correct." Let me. He goes, "Let me." Let's come. Let's walk out to my car, and I'll go talk to him while I get my mask. I, I wanted to go to my car. I wanted to go to my car, and I would have taken it with me. But the thing is, he said, "Don't worry about going to your car. I have an extra one for you." And he went and got one straight out of the packaging. Ah! Oh, the times that we're in, you know. Yes. But, so, you, so you stuck it out. You hung I, in there. I stuck it out. Man. What an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. I, I, I really, I've. We can't be done. You want to keep talking? Sure. Keep, what else do you want to talk about? I want to hear more about you. <laughs> People are tuning in for you. This is I'm not that important. I, I think here. everybody bailed when we started a half an hour late. It doesn't matter. I think it's just <laughs> you and I hanging out, man. That's right. Well, we got to have our time together again. Yes. It's nice to see I you. enjoyed immensely. Yes. Um, and the family's good and healthy, and the dogs are healthy. And the dogs are healthy. The family's healthy. Everybody's getting healthy and healthier. Um, I miss you. I haven't seen you in person in a long time. And I, and well, I'm, gonna... I'm, I'm moving back to California. Lori, my, Lori, my wife, is the hot. Yay! My wife is the, she's the real estate ninja, man. And she's seeking out properties, you know, look, get a little land, get a little. You know, but not in Los Angeles. No, uh, no, I'm not. I'm staying out of the crush. Man. I know you're burnt out on LA traffic. You're burnt out on that. I'm out of that. 
You know I, me. I, I love that. California boy. I mean, I need to smell that that salt air. You know. There you go. And the, and the orange trees and the lemon trees. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't deny it, man. I love the desert. Trust me. It's a spiritual, beautiful, dramatic place. You know, and I love what I found in the desert and what the desert has done to me. Right. I love what the desert has done to me. Um, it's shown me how much can be done with so very little. Right. And... It's it's a it's a it's a dramatic meditative place, um, but I'm an LA boy, you know. The water uh, um, is really necessary to me. Mm-hmm. So so my my lovely wife is on the hunt and uh, kicking ass and taking names like she does. And uh, um, what was real? And that's another interesting thing. I thought for sure. Locked up in this house. It's a big house, right? Right. Also going to knock that shit off. Don't need a house. Right. But, you know, even in a house this big, I thought for sure, oh, we're going to be mixing it up. Something fierce, right? No. Come on, great. We got along great in this house mm-hmm. for 15 months. Only time we ever left was for doctor's appointments or supplies. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it. The only other time was I went camping once. And I would t- I'll tell you one funny story and then we're out of here. How's that? Okay. Is that good? Yep. So me and a buddy, decide, I decide I need to camp. Now, where this came from, I have no idea. It's my genetics, right? Country people. I, I had to go camping. I had to be out in the wilderness. I had to, you know, make coffee over an open fire, and, you know, smell the trees and do all that shit. Right? So mm-hmm. We go way the hell up, 6,600 feet. We go up freezing. I got on long johns, parkas. I look like I'm, 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 I'm robbing a bank in Alaska. That's what this outfit looks like. And we get the tent set up, and we get everything set up, everything's cool. And it is so unbelievably cold on top of this mountain. It's like 10 degrees, mm-hmm. right? Now, again, city boy, LA boy, 10 degrees? Come on now. And I just came out of a place, you know, with, you know, temperatures are 20 degrees higher by nature, right? And I'm sitting in my tent the first night, and I'm thinking, this is crap. I'm getting out of here, right? And as I'm packing up and stuff, all of a sudden, I just like, Earl, just stop, meditate, be quiet. You get your cool back. Get your cool back, right? Get your mojo working, boy. <laughs> so I sit down, and I start to just get a nice groove going, you know, get a nice vibe going. It's all good. And all of a sudden, through that thin, thin, thin plastic or whatever it is of a tent, right? Yes. All I hear this. It's a bear. Oh, my God. 
God. There's a bear sitting like here. I could touch him with my hand on the other side of my tent, outside my tent. It's a goddamn bear sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I sit there going, I can't sit here with a bear. My buddy's in this other tent, right? I got no way of communicating with him without saying to the bear, hey, I'm right here, <laughs> right? But so I got my gun out, cocked, ready to like come flying out of there, blasting if I got to save my friend from being eaten by a bear, right? Mm -hmm. Sit there for like four hours while this bear wanders around the campsite looking for something to eat, right? Eventually, the bear leaves. 15 minutes later, my buddy comes walking out of his tent, you know, stretching, you know, hacking stuff up. I mean, just making all this noise, right? So I come flying out of my tent with a gun in my hand and a flashlight in the other, looking for the bear, right? He's like, what is up with you, dude? And I said, I've been up all night with a bear. He goes, bear? There was a bear here? And I go, yeah, it was a bear, right? And we looked around bear tracks all over the place, right? So I said, I'm out, tapping out. Camping? Check. <laughs> Pack it up. And down the mountain, started snowing, right? We go down from 6,600 feet back to sea level on snow-packed icy roads that had, a, at one point, a 1,000-foot drop-off, right? Mm. I'm scared of heights, right? So I'm having a blast, right? I'm loving this whole trip. Get down the mountain. And, and come home, and Lori's like, I thought you guys, you know, one or two more nights, easy. And I went, bears. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> nope. Nope. No bears. Not doing bears. So that's my closing story of my life, right? I try to camp, pick up a little spiritual mountaintop, you know, boogie. What do I come back with? Thank you for not making me bear breakfast. <laughs> Unbelievable. I love this show. Thank you for being on here today. I love you very, very much. I can't wait for you to move back to California so we get to hang out in person. Love you, you too. And, uh, Keep you know, the show rolling. Keep it going. Good stuff. Have, have a good rest of your evening, and Keep thanks to all the tuned in. Talk to you soon, bro. Talk to you. Bye-bye.